1: Hiya, and welcome to New Books in South Asian Studies. I'm your host, Ian Cook. Today we're talking about a really beautiful book, The of Havjansi, Gender, History and Fable in India, by Harleen Singh, published by Cambridge University Press. Harleen is Associate Professor of Literature, South Asian Studies and Women's Studies at Brandeis University. And the book is a wonderful exploration of the various different representations of the of Havjansi, the famous 19th century queen who led her troops into battle against the British and Darwinists on the battlefield. I had the pleasure of talking with Harleen just a few moments before. Okay, so without any further ado, I'm um, very happy to welcome Harleen Singh to the show. Thanks a lot for coming on and thanks a lot for your wonderful book.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Great. So before we get to the book yourself, um, always on, um, on the podcast, we want to know a little bit about yourself, your past research interests, and uh, how, it, how you ended up um, being interested in writing this book that we're going to talk about today.
0: Um, well, you know, my research uh, ever since I guess I was an undergraduate, I've been working on narratives around women from India. So, looking at authors who are women, but also then looking at the ways in which literature uh, articulates this idea of of the, the Indian woman. Um, so, I'd always been interested in figurations um, of, you know, particularly gendered uh, figurations here. But this book, in many ways, is um, has a lot to do with my childhood, was growing up in India. And, and I, I mentioned this um, later on in the afterword in the book. But, um, you know, as a, as a child, I saw this, the first Saurabh Modi, uh, Rani of Jhansi broadcast on what was then India's only TV channel, Doordarshan, and uh, on, on the occasion of Independence Day. And uh, I was taken up, I think, you know, as a young child, and I was taken up by the figure of this this queen who, who stood up to, you know, to the British. And the next day, I ran off to the bookstore and found myself what we used to call the Amar Chitra Katha, these are the uh, comic books which um, have, you know, have uh, told the picture stories of, of India's history and, and religion and culture and so on and so forth. And so really, my first introduction to the Rani of Jhansi was a comic book. And it was, you know, this beautiful cover with her resplendent in red and gold uh, clothes, you know, astride her horse, you know, facing hundreds of, of British soldiers. And I was fired up. I imagine by, you know, what, what this, how she was imagined, and what, what she could mean for so many people. And then, of course, <laughs> um, as I grew up and got into fights with boys in my school. I often hear the teachers tell us, you know, you know who do you think you are? The Rani of Chancy? You want to be fighting against, with boys? Um, and so she stayed in my mind. And um, eventually as I got through my, you know, my my master and my doctoral work, I was thinking about her and looking at her as a chapter in, in a book project on, on a, you know, dissertation project on the, rebe- the 1857 rebellion. Uh, but, you know... Th- lo and behold she she took over um... you know as i began to do research for one chapter i began to see a book emerging um, and you know she was larger than anything else that i could really get my hands on in in terms of the rebellion and i thought that and of course it has a lot to do with my teachers who, who guided me on this and, and i thought you know it's, it, a book could be written about her, and of course there have been hundreds of books written about her, but biographies and uh, you know history books which, which tell her story, uh, but I didn't find very many things. Uh, in fact, there was only one book uh, before written by Libra Joyce Chapman about her, but even then that's a kind of a historical retelling of her story but there wasn't really no consideration of her as a figure of representation as a figure of literature and as a figure of you know indian cultural history i'm um, sorry about that there's i tried to mute the phone but i guess that didn't happen um and um so you know uh, we Sorry, I just lost my train of thoughts there. But getting back to it, but there was really no book or or article and th- other things that I could find when I was doing this research, which really took you know stock of what it meant to represent this woman from Indian history, and to represent her at different points and times in history, in literature, in film, in folk poetry, um, and and to move forward from there. So that's really how I I got to this project.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're glad you you did find your way because it's really it really is a it really is a fascinating book i can't recommend it enough to listeners um maybe just because this podcast will be um will also be cross-posted in different channels not only in the south asian channel could you tell us a little bit about 1857 and why it was so important just for those people who aren't familiar with with the history
0: absolutely absolutely um so 1857 you know really is is a watershed event in you know you could call it british indian history um in the colonial and then later post-colonial period because until 1857 the british presence in india was controlled by the east india company it was still a mercantile presence um and in 1857 you know people have of course various theories about it you know Hundreds and thousands of books have been written about it and, and the causes for the rebellion in eighteen fifty seven um, the results of the rebellion in eighteen fifty seven or not but in some ways the, the the simplest story is is that you know a um, a rebellion was sparked off by a, a, the insubordination of certain soldiers in, in the a city called Merit. And that then led to a large-scale rebellion that was then taken up by various kings, queens, um, and other people, um, the common people as as well. Um, and, of course, it was put down. It It didn't amount to much, but it generated uh, a great deal of of literature around it as people began to imagine the mutinous conduct of, of the indians who until now had been really thought of as the kind of mild hindu and uh, there was a lot of British writing on this um, at this point in time. And then 1857 marked the change because after this, uh, Queen Victoria became empress and um, it really became a dominion of the British crown. So the East India Company was deprived of its its possession. And from 1857 to 1947, when India gains independence, um, India is then a colony, a dominion of the crown rather than a colony of the East India Company. So it's it's a it's it's a very um, it's a, it's a huge event for British and Indian history um, because uh, in in in, col- in the colonial period um, and in many ways it led to a rethinking of, of, of governance for the British um, but then it also be, you know beca- became a symbol of of the ways in which the rebellion could be undertaken against the British power, um, and in, it wasn't, you know, invoked many times by Gandhi's rhetoric because, of course, it was, you know, the nonviolence and passive resistance. But it became a uh, became a uh, point of um, convergence for people to think about uh, a rebellion against the British in the colonies.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, and and if. And suppose the, the most important question in the context of, of your book is, you know, what role did Rani have in this? I don't let's not talk so much about how she was represented as we will. We'll go into detail in each of the chapters. But what's the sort of, you know, broad strokes sort of picture of of what of what she did in in the context of this rebellion?
0: Right. So, you know, in short, she fought against the British and and not in name and not in representation, but, you know, in the battlefield, on the battlefield and, and died in combat. So she's extraordinary in those terms for actually being a queen who, who you know, who went into battle, of course. Uh, uh, Victoria was in battle, but Victoria was, you know, queen in terms of, you know, the, the battles when wars were carried out in her name. But here was a was an Indian queen who actually went into battle against the British. And the reason she's significant is, of course, because one of the, the main um, causes that people have spoken of uh, in terms of 1857 is the policy of annexation. Uh, that under the East India Company, many states such as Chassis, where the queen was from, actually um, lapsed into the control of the British as as they, as the king died and, and, and no natural heir emerged, and you know, again, that's a, it's a complicated and uh, historical formation there as well. So you know, not not as simplistic as I might make it out to be, but um, but many such many such policies by the East India Company were seen to be interfering with the lives of of Indians and not just you know in their trade, um, and the Queen. Uh, you know, was one of uh, was one of the wives. Uh, she was married to the king of Chansi, uh, Rao, and um, he was, you know, he had gotten on in age by the time, and she was a young woman married to him. But one of the reasons for this marriage was the fact that he didn't have a natural heir with any of his previous wives, and and it was thought that you know he would, they would produce an heir together. But um, they had a son who died in infancy, um, and then they adopted. A, a young uh, relative um, a, as their son however under the policy of annexation um, this, the adopted heir was not recognized by the British when the king died um, and so Chassis, the kingdom uh, lapsed into the control of the British and was annexed by the British um, and this then led to a series of correspondence and other things between the British and the East India Company and, and the, the Rani Lakshmi Bai of um, and you know there are various theories about it whether she was someone who who wanted to fight the British or not, or did or not. And of course, as I point out in the book, uh, there are various reasons for this. Nationalist reasons often want to naturalize her as a rebel who who completely, um, uh, you know, was from the get go against the annexation and didn't want to have anything to do with the British and, and fought was a rebel from the, the onset. Um, British historians and other you know colonial historiography that has pointed out that she was a rather reluctant rebel and only got into the rebellion once the mutineers landed up at her doorstep so there there are various reasons around it but but she became uh, a figurehead for the rebellion. People you know banded around this um, the figure of the queen fighting for the british um, and so this is why she becomes an extremely important, um, an extremely important um, uh, figure from 1857.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks. That's, that sets the scene for us nicely. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit before that there wasn't really any scholarship before about her representations. And we'll talk about each of these four chapters. But before we do that, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the importance of looking at at these representations, like what what does looking at representations of her tell us? This is the discussion that you have in the in the introduction,
0: right? Um, so you know, I think in, in some ways that the book big book engages the the um, the, the the question of, of what constitutes the archive, right? Mm-hmm. We have we have at this point in time, you know, we have archives which are you know, and and many other historians have done. And I'm not a historian; I'm, I'm really I'm a literary uh, scholar, uh, but. But in some ways, you know, more and more uh, the um, rep- post-colonial um, frameworks um, have begun to, to reframe the question of how history is written, um, and, and one of the things that I that I that I wanted to undertake here uh, was the the importance of 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 bit really of looking at the literary product, looking at the literary text as, as a way of configuring history. in um, so much as, you know, especially with the case of the Rani of Jhansi, um, it's very hard to tell where rhetorical representations of her, literary representations of her end and actual, if one can call that, you know, historical stories about her begin. Um, as I point out, you know, that before 1857, there really was no reason to record the history of this one woman and so whatever we have about her historical literary cultural comes to us after 1857 and and that almost always you know colors how we are looking at her because the rebellion already sets her up as a figure Of importance and significance, and so um, it it was important for me that you know to look at these various accounts, to look not only at the intersections of of literature and history, but also the ways in which it's um, it's very important for us, especially in a place like. well in a, not i wouldn't say a place like India, but to look at a like the place of Indian history and Indian literature, especially within the colonial and post colonial framework, to think about how narratives of these you know famous personages of history have emerged and and what these narratives mean for us in thinking about gender or history um, and, and also storytelling in india
1: <laughs> wonderful so let's then let's talk about these these different types of representations that you took out that you look at. You look at four broadly grouped representations in the book. You show how she's a sexually promiscuous Indian whore. She's a heroic um, uh, Aryan in the, in, and she's also a Hindu goddess of nationalism and then very interesting in the final chapter you look at her as a folk symbol of indigenous resistance so let's start, as, as you start in chapter 2, you look at the her representations against um, what's called the rape script and you do this as a way of unmasking the portrayal of this sort of eroticization of power. So let's tell, can you tell us a little bit about the novels that you're analysing here and, and how they show, and this is the, the title of the chapter, how they show Rani is enslaving masculinity
0: well so the, the two the, again the, the novels here the you know chapter two is really looking at victorian representations of the rani um, and this is very important because of course some of the first representations that we we are we are able to engage our victorian representations because of course literature um you know literature in english is being written at a at a, at a, at a greater rate in, in england about this and the, and the mutiny as it's it's called in you know colonial historiography it really fires up the imagination and it's not so much her uh, that is that I think Victorian novels are representing but really the British in India but but in representing the British in India during this this period of the mutiny they can't help but engage these these large figures who had so fired up the imagination um, and and it's very interesting that in In chapter two, both the novels that I engage, one is called The Rani, and the next one is called The Queen's Desire. um, um, uh, um, Both of these, right, I mean, Gillian, uh, again, that's a pseudonym for Major J.N.H. McLean, and Hume Nesbitt, who writes The Queen's Desire. Both of these are late 19th century novels, Um, and both of them. Um, you know, there are other things that are going on. The, the queen is not really the central character as such. Um, but she becomes in some ways um, a, a vehicle for, for the destiny of the British characters uh, involved in these novels. And in both these novels, she is really depicted as, um, in the framework, you know, the the, the 1857 mutiny engendered, and, and, you know, other people have, have written uh, books about this, um, uh, that... Uh, you know the the rape script of the mutiny, which was really um, a kind of um, sensationalized uh, narrative of 1857, where uh, British women were being um, kidnapped, abducted, separated from their families, and and raped and kept in the harems of the various kings and other people. And I have found these these novels in which Rani Lakshmi Bai, you know, uh, an Indian woman who was usually represented in Victorian fiction. Um, as, you know, someone who had to be rescued from Indian masculinity, someone who was, you know, submissive, subordinate, all of these, these um, you know, obsequious qualities attached to them. Um, and yet, here you had this queen who fought against the British, and so how how could she be included in these sensational narratives about 1857 uh, when, when she didn't fit any of those, you know, stereotypes? And what I found was that, you know, more often than not, she was depicted as as a threat to Indian domesticity. So, of course, she couldn't be shown as, you know, abducting and kidnapping British women, um, which would have (laughs) required a much larger leap, I think, of imagination. (laughs) She was was depicted as, you know, as someone who disrupted British domesticity um, by being extremely uh, promiscuous towards British men. And uh, going so far as, as you know, being seduct being a seductress, um, seducing British men, and in in, in the queen's desire, actually uh, kidnapping and and keeping, um, you know, uh, a British uh, soldier in her harem, um, and and uh, you know, for her purposes. Um, so it was very interesting to me that you know, in 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 the framework of of the of eighteen fifty seven. In which um, these rape narratives are focused on Indian men uh, raping and uh, c- kidnapping and raping British women. We had these rather, you know, anomalous representations of of the Queen of Jhansi, the Rani Lakshmi bai, um, as someone who, could, on the one hand, couldn't help but give in to British masculinity, be seduced by it, also, um, but but did so in a way that really represented a kind of rapacious, you know. Um, devouring sexuality um, and, and which was focused on British men
1: <laughs> Ah, wonderful So, and in the next chapter, in a very different representation, you talk about how the Rani is constructed um, by others uh, as a heroic Aryan woman So I suppose if the last chapter was about pss, sex or sexuality, this chapter is very much about race
0: Right, right so it was you know again, it was very interesting to me, as one would imagine that you know all representations of the Rani would be in this 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 negative mode of of her being a kind of voracious sexually crazed Indian woman you know dying to have a harem full of british men um, so uh, you know and, and these were most of the most of the representations I was finding, but then I also chanced upon on on, on a rather i mean heroic representations which weren 't entirely. Um, approving, but but were you know almost reluctantly acknowledging her heroism, but doing so in the framework of, of a fellow Aryan. And I began to think more and more about how the 19th century, um, you know, uh, race theorists and others and, and philologists were beginning to to construct this notion of race and, and how you know how it applied to the Rani Chansi. Um, and I guess I, you know I really. Begin um, again, uh, by by thinking you know about um, European f- uh, philology, which you know on Max Muller's work and other, where this I- idea of Aryan origin began to emerge. You know, and and in some ways as a as a response to the to the anti-Semitism, where the uh, where the idea of a kind of you know uh, origin in Eden really prompted people to look elsewhere. Um, and I, I began to think more about the ways in which she was also, you know, she was heroic, and she was, you know, a woman fighting against, you know, in battle against the British, and, and many of her, many people looked upon her, and many writers later looked upon her with, with with great approval. And in these, you know, narratives of approval, what I began to see is that the. There were ways in which there wasn't just dissonance, but but a kind of uh, but a kind of alignment, a kind of allegiance between the rani as 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 royalty and as as a fellow Aryan who, in fighting against the British, was not so much a rebel, but really a kind of fellow Aryan who could not help but fight against what she perceived of as injustice. So the novels don't go so far as to say, "Oh yes, the British were unjust," <laughs> but but they do grudgingly acknowledge that you know here was this. This heroic woman fighting um, against the British, um, and interestingly enough, these repre- representations then engage uh, theories of caste because she is Aryan, but you know she, the Aryan is really constructed in these novels as upper caste Brahmins, right? Sometimes the Shatras, sometimes the warrior class, but even in conceiving of uh, of her, the Rani is an Aryan, and she it's easy enough for these narratives to do because she was of course from the Brahmin caste uh, you know historically speaking so so this chapter really looks at um, you know primarily uh, a a novel from 1901 called from written by Michael white called letch me by Rani of chancy the genre arc of India, um, where her anti-colonial sentiments, you know, are in some ways glossed over because she's really compared to this European model of saintly womanhood, the Joan of Arc. Um, but but the fact that she's a Hindu Brahmin also makes it easier to recast her as an Aryan, right? And I think that this is uh, this. This kind of figuration really lends itself to uh, an analysis of colonial ambivalence, um, of, of, and, and, and also to a, a um, to an analysis of the ways in which race and the construction of race began to really emerge around this um, this this uh, schism of 1857, where you know it was no longer simply ne- it, it became necessary in some ways to very clearly demarcate us and them. Uh, to clearly demarcate the British from the Indian, um, not just as as you know those who are belonging to another civilization, but but to really demarcate this on on the basis of racial difference, and so she emerges here then as this kind of problematic figure, who is who's both heroic um, in being a Brahmin, being an Aryan, and fighting against the British, but on the other on and the same hand she's also responsible on the other hand she 's responsible for the deaths uh, for, for the you know for the for the loss of british lives for the taking of british lives women, men, and children included um, and so that that makes it rather problematic um, to recast her simply as heroic and I think that 's the kind of tension that I work at in the in the chapter mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. thank you I, I was wondering in, in both of these chapters as I was reading them, I was wondering how. Popular, or do we know how popular these books were at the time, like um, back in back in Britain, or, or in also like amongst amongst the colonial um, officers and so on in India? Do we know if they were well, they were well read?
0: Um, I think we, you know, all the scholarship on and there's been a lot of scholarship on Victorian novel and, and, and its circulation, and, and all of it, you know, points to the fact that there was an increased number of of readers, um, at least in England. Um, I, I think there was there was there was a limited circulation amongst the reading classes, you know, in the literary the reading classes in India. Um, and here I'm talking about British colonialists who were in India. Uh, there was some, uh, but as you know, you know, passage from England to India, the coming of books back and forth, it wasn't that easy. Um, uh, you know, compared to the internet age now, one is almost you know. <laughs> Uh, perplexed to find out how word really got from one end to the other, but it seems like people still were able to communicate. Um, and so, yes, so I think there was greater circulation in England, uh, less so in India, but I think uh, that, that one has to separate in some ways the circulation of these books, the novels, the texts, uh, from the circulation of, uh, of, of a kind of cultural representation, Mm-hmm. So even if people were not reading the novels in, in such great number, um, you know, representations of the Rani, of Nana Sahib, Tante Topi, these other figures of 1857 in, in English newspapers, in, you know, in, in other dispatches and, and other ways, in other uh, print culture, um, I think that people were more were far more familiar with these figures and with with the notion of 1857 than we might think they were.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. That's the, That's just what I had in my mind. Because I mean, I, I read one with my own research. I read one co- book written by a written by a um, civil servant, and um, but I, I found one reference to someone else talking about it. But then no one ever, no one else in the city ever knew this book existed. So I was always wondering, yeah, how how I mean, especially at that time, like you said. <laughs> Right. Books, how, how easily do books circulate, especially especially in, in, amongst the colony? So let's right. talk a little bit like you talk about so the second. If, if I could
0: just step back to say you yeah. know one thing, Ian, which is that, I mean, on the one hand, we didn't have the circulation. But what's amazing is that many of these authors, especially in the Victorian period, almost all the books that I've, I've read, um, that I've, I've um, analyzed, at least for the book, um, almost all the authors claim to have experience in India. So so you know there is a there's a way in which you know even if those books were not circulating there's a way in which experience and the uh, the authenticity in some ways as these authors were aspiring to of having served in India was really underwriting their own um legitimacy as authors mm-hmm. and, and and so you know many of these these authors talk about their own military service their family's military service and and claim a kind of you know india old hand um um, yeah, you know, title for themselves. So, so you know, it's 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 a rather it's a rather complex negotiation because it, even as they're representing the Rani of Chhasi as one of them, one of us, you know, an Aryan, not an Aryan, a rebel, a heroic figure, uh, there's also a certain amount of negotiation going on on the part of the author themselves as they're thinking of themselves as as, as these old India hands, but also you know, loyal British subjects, um, and and in some ways negotiating their own identities and their own um, uh, positions.
1: Mm -hmm. And I would say, I don't know what it's like now in in the US, but it's certainly in the UK, you can find so many of these colonial era novels now for sale, because in a sort of a sad way, or the government here shutting down all the libraries, so all the libraries are getting rid of their stock on the internet. So you can find these old Victorian novels very cheaply, and um, yeah, some total, totally fascinating, you know, works out there. Let's talk a little bit as you talk in the in the second half of the book how how she was portrayed by Indians. And my first. My first experience with Irani was half watching a film at, at somebody's house um, when I was in India, and there she was very much portrayed as a hero. I mean, and some of the great names have represented her, like some of the great Indian Indian names have represented her. But as as, as you show in in chapter four, then there is still there is still contradictions there in how she's represented. So tell us a little bit about about how she's sort of represented as this nationalist hero and what the tensions are there.
0: Well, you know, I th- I think. I think it's fair to say that that most Indian representations of her are, of course, complementary. Um, you know that 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 more often than not, even when these tensions are brought out um, for Indian historiography as well as Indian literary culture, the Rani of Jhansi really represents a kind of, um, you know, uh, a, a heroic figure from the past who who's, who's rather who's very inspiring. You know, there, there's. Whatever we may think about you know, how she got into the battle or not, there's, there's no getting around the fact that here was a woman, probably from an extremely sheltered life, who led her troops in battle against the British and died on, on the battlefield, and uh, especially in the context of Indian nationalism um she she became you know a, a figure without without uh, you know a, a peerless figure in some ways you know without comparison and and people represented her or, or spoke about her in you know in, in myriad ways um in in this chapter one of the things i of course do get at is that and yet there there is some tension there because in the nonviolent uh, mo- movement against the British and Gandhi's movement against the British, the Congress-inspired movement against the British, um, she wasn't really, you know, brought out as, as a figure, uh, in, as an inspiring figure of history. In fact, I was hard-pressed to find anything in Gandhi's writing that referred to her. Um, and, and Gandhi did refer to, uh, you know, the Indian god- goddesses and to Indian... You know, women and figures of Indian women as as as, um, as symbols uh, from which the the passive resistance could draw inspiration. Um, but they, but really, there is there isn't much reference to the Rani of Chansi. Uh, Jawaharlal Nehru, in his book Discovery of India, written while he was in prison, does refer to her and, and talks about her as this this wonderful um, uh, figure of Indian history. But but I was I was really concerned here in also looking at. At, at genre, at looking at uh, the ways in which the Hindi novel, Hindi poetry, and then Hindi film um, use narratives of the past, use use historical narratives and retell it in these various genres um, in, in the process of nation building, right? That these these genres, this literature is really put to the service uh, of nation building and, 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 and what it is that they do with it. So for example, you know, one of the uh, Subhadra Kumari Chohan's poem Chansik Irani, written in 1930, um, has the refrain, Kublari Mardani, Voto Wali Rani Ti. And um, as I point out, this is, you know, almost everyone, I mean, and by everyone I say, you know, middle class and those educated in India um, and Hindi speakers, um, almost all of us in, in school uh, knew this refrain. And in fact, um, even in popular culture, this refrain has really come to to mark the Rani of Chansi And you know, and, and translated, it simply refers to as the one. You know, uh, we've heard the story from the, the singers of the Bundela clan. The one, it was the Rani of Chasi who fought like a man. Um, and so, I, I, you know, this is this is something that I've known since I was a child. Um, this this poem, and I really wanted to be able. To read it alongside Brenda um, Lal Verma's novel *Chansikirani Lakshmi Bai*, uh, which became, you know, a, 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 he's one of the India's foremost uh, novelists in Hindi, um, especially in terms of the historical novel, and, and I wanted to see the ways in which. Uh, these, these different genres and these different authors were representing this heroic figure you know in the context of indian nationalism um, and then of course, look at sorab Modi 's film Chansik irani, which was india 's first film in Technicolor um, and, and to to look at the ways in which this this new Format of retelling India's past, uh, telling India's history, film, films, movies, um, and and cinema uh, used the the story of the Rani to to tell uh, to retell the story. Mm-hmm. And what I've you know what I found was was very was very interesting. You know, um, so there there are contradictions, there are paradoxes, there's um, there's you know that there, there are places where these these narratives run parallel to each other, um, but you know but almost all three of these texts you know the the poem the novel the film um, have have been referred to have been talked about in other places, but again, I was hard pressed to find anything in which you know representations of the Rani in Hindi had been considered together uh, to in to 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 understand what they said about hindi literature about you know history in india and and to really talk about the ways in which genre language literature and and history were were emerging um, and and actually playing a, a decisive role in 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 representing history to the reading masses and to the cinema going masses
1: mhm mm-hmm. thank you so much the, the final chapter you have in the book is 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 really amazing because the, this this biography just sounds amazing this is a offers a completely radical different representation than, than anything we've talked about so far in in the same way because it because it because of the sources I suppose it uses um, to, to bring about this representation in this she becomes a hero of the people so can you tell us a little bit about this book and then also how you interpret it
0: all right so, you know, and as I was looking at, you know, and, and in some ways the, the, the chapters in the book follow in, in the order, not only because of chronology, uh, but also because in, in some ways they, they represent um, really my journey, which uh, is that that I was first acquainted with literary representations of the Rani of Jhansi in Victorian texts that I was reading as a scholar of 19th century literature, British literature. Um, and, and then it, it caused me, you know, it, it made me think, more about the ways in which I had um, assimilated representations of the Rani into my own cultural framework in terms of the Hindi poem the novels and and Hindi and cinema and 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 then I began to see well you know of course, it, it was a to be expected in some ways that you know even as the the Rani represented this this figure of dissonance and and conflict and chaos for British novelists that she would represent um, freedom uh, cohesion and in some ways um, a, a, a coherent push forward for independence for the nationalists um, but I but I wondered if if there had been in fact that 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 well, let me take that back. But but I was cognizant of, of the fact that most of these nationalist representations of the Rani were coming from a particular upper-class, upper-caste uh, literary writing and, and cultural formation. And, and I wondered, you know, how it was that, that perhaps, you know, were there anything that was critical about her, you know, or was she just being, you know, represented as this heroic figure always, um, in even in Indian uh, writings? and then i came across mashritha devi's work and of course mashritha devi is is um, and i'd known her other work before and she is a very uh, famous writer in in bengali and a famous activist uh, for the for indigenous rights in post colonial india um, um uh, Gaitri spivak has most famously translated her work in in the in the western academy um, but i again found um that actually one of her earliest, Masha Devi's earliest works, was a biography slash novel uh, of of the Rani of Chasi called Chasi Rani or translated simply as the Rani of Chasi. Um, it was translated, you know, later um, as the Queen of Chasi. But this but this was one of her earliest works um, written in nineteen fifty seven. Um, oh sorry 19 1956 uh, i beg your pardon uh, r- uh, published in 1956 um and yet there there wasn't really any scholarship on this work even though there had been scholarship on her short stories and other things but there was no scholarship on mahasheta devi's novel Jhansi rani which is about the rani of jansi so i began to look at that more carefully um and it it's it's a it's a fascinating um an amazing text because um, you know, unlike Rindavan Lal Varma's novel, The Rami of Chasi, which came out just at the the cusp of Indian independence and is is, is celebrated in India and Hindi Hindi literature. Um Maheshweta Devi's book was, you know, a book written by a woman, but it was also um, informal and nonconformist in the ways in which it wasn't writing a straightforward history. Mahashveta Devi was very concerned that that the story of this extraordinary woman be told not only uh, as as a story you know as as employing the history from above but but really uh, drawing on the narratives and folk stories and 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 and, and, and histories of the ways in which um, the rani was understood as a, as a as a hero of the people as as a folk hero and so her, you know, her, even as Mahashweta Devi looks at, you know, her book is very well researched. Um, you know, it doesn't have the level of footnoting and endnoting that our books do nowadays. But and, but perhaps that's to the to the to the good because it
1: reads. Really,
0: um, and she employs all kinds of, 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 of archives here. You know, she, she talks about, you know, speaking to people in Chhasi, talking, you know, she employs dramas and, and poetry and, and stories and songs about the Rani of Chassi. and And, you know, go... Goes forward to tell the story of of the Rani of Jhansi not only as this queen, as this you know elite figure, um, as this elite Brahmin figure, but really as someone who represented the the concern and causes of of uh, of the indigenous peoples, the you know the the lower castes and the poorer people of India. Um, and she really holds her out. And one of my one of my favorite things about you know Maheshwata Devi's book about the Rani of Jhansi is that she talks about her as this um, this you know woman who the the rani who is not yet dead right and she talks a lot about the ways in which people will not believe that the rani has died that she continues to be alive because in some ways the promises of independence have not yet been met and in in Maheshweta devis book um you know the, the the enduring figure the enduring story of the rani uh, symbolizes uh, the 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 continued need for rebellion and resistance against a, a nationalist state which has in some ways run roughshod over the the desires and needs of its own people and and then as i was looking at her you know we've now in the last 10 years have had um, a, a, a you know uh, the, the, the not, I wouldn't say the emergence because there's always been Dalit historiography, but we've begun to see more of it um, in terms of of, of print material. Um, but that then I began to look at the ways in which Dalit historiography and Dalit literature now has actually, you know, taken um, for whom the Rani of Jhansi is a contentious figure one who represents a kind of upper caste, you know, control of history um, and an erasure of of Dalit contribution to Indian uh, resistance and rebellion against the British. Um, And I was amazed to see, you know, the ways in which... uh, uh, a, a, a Dalit heroine, Chelgaribai, has has really been put forth as 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 the real Rani. Um, you know, <laughs> going so far as as some dalit scholarship, which goes on to say that you know, like Mahashat Devi, saying that the Rani is alive, but really she's alive because she ran away from the battlefield, and it's really Dalit women who were the true heroines of 1857. Um, and in so in some ways, you know. It, I think it, it brings, for me, the story full circle, starting from colonial representations to then nationalist representations, to then a kind of postcolonial colonial uh, relationship with history, which, which now must contend also with Dalit historiography, that is pointing out the gaps in the ways in which history has been written, the ways in which literature has been understood. And the ways in which, um, you know, idea of womanhood, of gender has really been put forth. And I think in all of this conversation that we've had so far, as I've been talking more about her as a representation of literature and history, um, I failed really to to mention in some ways the the fact that all of these representations, whether they're sexualized or or having are based on race, you know, or on race or nationalist representations which still uh, cull from you know Hindu versions of womanhood and heroism and the goddess uh, to looking now at at uh, at Maheshwata Devi who really looks at the Rani as a kind of feminist icon um, and then moving on to Dalit historiography which seeks to displace that kind of of uh, heroism around her, um, that that you know that she's she also tells the story in some ways of gender in India of of, of womanhood in India and and how it's been in, been understood over the span of these you know well, I guess it'd be you know, fair to say like one hundred and fifty some years, and why that it still has resonance um, as I point out. In the afterward, for, for a country where you know, we, we have so many streets named after the Rani of Jhansi, uh, where women may still not walk in safety. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I, 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 also, I think it's wonderful the way it closes the book because it, it, it shows, and maybe close wasn't the right word, it shows there can be no closure. On any representation of of the Rani, she's always going to be open to new representations, no matter how often it tried to be closed by by colonialists or by nationalists. It's always open to new and fresh interpretations. She very much does live, and she lives on. Also, in your book, we've talked about a lot. Maybe I hope I haven't pushed pushed it along too quickly. Is there anything that I've missed that you'd like to flag up for the listeners? No,
0: no, not not so much. You know, on, only the fact that. Um you know of course it's my book so i've got all kinds of good things to say about <laughs> it, uh, which we all do but um you know i i for me writing this book working on this book was in, was in some ways taking stock you know as i said before when we began the conversation of an archive right that that the, the Rani of Jhansi is a figure but she's also a representational archive of colonial and post-colonial literature history and gender um And in some ways, my book uh, tries to engage with this archive to see, you know, the ways in which the archive produces a figure like the Rani of Jhansi, but also how the Rani of Jhansi in turn then produces the notion of the the archive itself. Um, and, And the fact that, you know, she's a figure of history, but the ways in which history is represented, especially in... In a place like India, and in, a, in, in in the context of British and Indian history, uh, remain very important because she is she is of the past, but but she is very much also of the present because she's in some ways a touchstone for us to think about the ways in which gender is being configured or reconfigured constantly um, in India's modernity.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So we've taken up a lot of your time. And uh, again, I'd like to recommend to everyone at home, this really is a, it really is a beautiful book. It's very nice to read as well as being very engaging theoretically as well. So this is uh, it's really, yeah, really is a, really is a wonderful book. So I was wondering, now this book is out, what future projects are you working on?
0: Um, so the, my, my next project is, mm-hmm. it's, um, I'm trying to make my book a little bit well, maybe not a little bit. Uh, even more readable than this okay. one. <laughs> um, so I was really—you know—this is—it's—it's it's a book um, which, which in some ways, I'm, I'm hoping will also have a popular audience because the Rani of Jansi is not simply a figure of history and of literature, but she's a figure of the popular imagination. Um, so I, you know, so I was really hoping for a larger readership and, and trying to write sentences that you know wouldn't lose my reader somewhere. Um, but as I, but I, as I also point out. Um, Writing this book has actually freed me up to write even better sentences. Okay. <laughs> so the the next project is is um, and I think tenure does that too. Uh, the next project mm-hmm. is to really write kind of almost a crossover book, um, which will look at um, um, fiction, popular fiction, cinema, and other things, but then also combine those with uh, ethnography, um, um, with with interviews, with uh, with looking at legal text, um, and. So far tentatively that the the next book is titled "Half an Independence: Women Violence and Modernity in india and and I really want to look at um, violence against women in India, you know rape, sexual assault, and domestic violence but but really, in the context of india 's modernity that that so far most of these things and, and especially within the last two to three years as 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 rape in India has become Uh, part of you know mainstream um, discussion and and reporting and more that more often than not the conversation about violence against women in India uh, really has more to do with traditional religious cultural values. Um, And and more often than not, it it talks about how this violence um, is really um, comes out of a kind of almost an anachronistic uh, cultural religious framework um, and and, and a patriarchy that is, is, is is rooted in tradition rather than modernity. Um, And, and I disagree with that. And and uh, and so in this book, I really want to look at the ways in which uh, what we're seeing um, as violence against women in India is, is deeply rooted in India's formation of its own modernity. Um, and it has more to do with being modern and in configuring the modern public sphere than it has to do with, with notions of tradition and culture.
1: That sounds fascinating. I mean, there, there was so much nonsense being written <laughs> about uh <laughs> about sexual violence in India and, I, and I, I, I especially as a you know as a white British man in India I, I I feel I haven't I very dangerous to say anything about it but you can just feel there's so much yeah so much hot air so it's yeah it sounds this book sounds you know perfect like um yeah we need um yeah it to be historicized and contextualized uh and especially if you're aiming it for a for a popular audience as well this would be this would be wonderful so we look forward to that book
0: Thank you so much. I, you know, I guess, you know, in some ways, my family perhaps may not like reading it. But, you know, in some ways, I I, I feel like I want to be able to now write a book that people at home can read.
1: (laughs) Sure, sure. Okay, so thanks a lot.
0: I'm sorry. I was just going to say thank you so much for doing this for so many other authors and for other books as well. I really wanted to take the opportunity also to thank you. Um, this is it's it's really wonderful that you're doing this. Thank you so much.
1: No, it was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for coming on the show.
0: Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a good
1: evening. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to new books in South Asian Studies. I've been your host, Ian Cook. We today we've been talking about the Rani Hivjansi, Gender History and Fable in India by Harleen Singh. Beautiful book that I can't recommend enough. Hope to see you next time. Ta ra!